plays, how you use them. Welcome, Tom Ellsworth here. Welcome to BizDoc Podcast. I'm here with Kai Lode. How you doing, Tom? And on the computer over there, DJ Reckless. Let's go. Pulling charts, pulling things, talking to you as you send Super Chat questions. We're going to answer a couple of them today. We know you love Q&A. Uh, now, stuff you can use, you can apply. Whether you're our leader, an owner, a founder, whatever it is you're doing, we hope to take what's happening in the world, make sense of it in bite-sized amounts so that you can take it back to your business. And um, wow, what a weekend. No banks failed this weekend. No, the bank, banks are still standing so, for so long, so it should be interesting to see where things go. Boy, we have such a low standard, don't we? Yeah. Hey, did any banks fail today? No. Did any, any no. businesses have to run there to make payroll? What a low standard. It's like I mean, if, it's, it's if, like, a, like a third world banana republic kind of question. And yet we're talking about United States financial sector. If you set your expectations low, Tom, it, it's hard to go lower than expectation. Yeah, that's exactly right. And uh, you know, you know, thank God my wife did that. So anyway, <laughs> here we go. Um, more bearish news in the housing market, and for the last time. The biz doc is not a bear. I am a bull at heart. I'm an optimist at heart. I'm a driver at heart. But the stock market's up. Things are happening. People think things are good. Saudi says we're raising the price of oil. Turns out U.S. is drilling more oil, and it's screw you, Saudis. We're going to drill. We'll make our own oil. We'll drop the price right back to 73. How's that? You have all that that looks like good news, but then the financial sector and housing, unfortunately. Unfortunately. Well, the Fed last week, United States... Pause the rate increase. Now, what they said with that is they were um, maybe two more rate increases coming later this summer before the rate cuts. Maybe we see an increase in July because there's a lot of different uh, stats out there that don't make the Fed, Fed perfectly happy. But at least they did pause and maybe talked about cuts in the future. But um, what are you thinking on this? I mean, if I'm not mistaken, I think it was June 22nd when they have their next meeting. So that should be right around the corner. But End of uh, July, every six weeks. End, end of July. Okay, six okay, weeks, yeah. So, so June, of, so probably 14, June, 15th plus 6th. Yes. Uh, yeah. So no, but I don't, I don't think I see any cuts anytime soon. I mean, they're still trying to let the economy settle and really slow down as, as inflation is still kind of doing its thing. Um, so I don't see anything significant for another two years probably. Uh, and then obviously we have the well, he, election he got season. Cornered and he said, yep. two years, didn't he? Yeah. Well, yeah. actually, he led toward. I don't. We'll, so. we'll see. We'll see. But I mean, things things change quickly during uh, times of crisis like this. So we'll see. But I don't think we'll see anything crazy. And I'm sure the Biden administration is going to try to keep it down, especially going into election season, because that's not a good look for them. Of interest rates going up, all-time high records. Those are definitely not the records they're trying to beat. So uh, we'll see where things go. You make a really good point about the election because the election's coming up in a year and six months and it can't get up here soon enough for those of us who are in America. And now we're going to have this endless mini series on every news channel called Who the Hell is Going to be President? It's like a it's like a bad Netflix mini series. Yeah. Only it's only we got season one. Uh, how many? 18. How many months? 18. So we're going to have season one. 40 episodes over the next yeah. <laughs> year and a half on that. But what they are, they are waiting for that. They want to see the presidential election, the Fed does, and then you got to get inaugurated, and then you have a secretary of treasury, and then they see what your tax policy is. So that we're talking March of 2025. 
So that's when you're finally going to see, okay, what does this president stand for or um, trip over if it's uh, still Biden? But um, U.S. mortgage rates reacted to this, and U.S. mortgage rates jumped up to a two-month high. So people were thinking, well, the Fed will flatten it out. Maybe the bonds and interest rates on mortgages. Nope. 30-year fixed is still 7% for people with good credit. That are, that are buying houses less than a million dollars, so it's not what's called the jumbo mortgage. Um, and the index of applications, what that is, they keep a stock market of applications. Oh, there it is. Um, see the bottom one? That's mortgage applications going down. And look at, uh, down another, what was that, like 4% year over year, dropped another percent. And there's the mortgages are the highest rate since March. So nobody is buying because the interest rate's high. And you've got this chart up here. Um, so now people say, gee, Biz Doc, thanks for everything, but what does all this mean to me? And so I asked Kai over the weekend, I said, why don't you come in with a reasoned viewpoint? Because you're a guy, you know, you got your college education, you're in the first 10 years of your career, you're, you're supposed to be in this, you know, cash accumulation mode. And one of those steps is, can you get into a townhouse as your first uh, property or a house if you're in a favorable market? What are you doing? Yeah, so I think obviously property's been crazy, and especially here in Florida where it's been out of control the last couple of years. So I think for me right now, a big part of it is just kind of keeping the, the rent and, and um, expenses low so that I can keep saving up because obviously once I get married or once I get closer to having something serious relationship-wise, I think that buying a property and having something where you can store some value and you can build some equity is definitely a good step in the right direction. But the way things are currently, I mean, it, it seems like it's harder and harder. Like you're almost trying to run and catch something that's running faster and running further. So other than just keeping expenses low and really being able to, to maximize what, what I make and what I save, I think that's the only reasonable thing I can do at this point. Yeah, so I, I think I think what he's talking about, first, there's a couple things in there, and one of them in there is he's not in a serious relationship. So if you know somebody, please put a name and a number in the super chat and see if we can, I'm open to we can connect, connect Kai. And so and then we can go through the chats and he can do his own version of swipe right. But um, I think you bring up a really important point, and that is any chapter in your life, whether you're a business or an individual, you got to have the financial plan. And it's not always what you want, it's what you can. It's like you know going fishing. If the fish aren't biting, what can you catch? So it's not always what you want, it's what you can. And right now it's the what you can game in the mortgage market. Um, I, I think if people are out there um, looking at it, uh, there's a couple things that are, that are out there that are also going on right now, and that is CD saving rates. And these things are connected. Um, there's something that hasn't happened for 15 years where you have the one-year CD, you know, certificate deposit, going to a bank, you get a bonus, $20,000, one-year certificate of deposit, put it in there, 5%, you can get 1000 bucks on that. So your 20 becomes 1000 boom, no monthly fees. That's pretty amazing. That, that, we haven't seen that for a while. But what's also interesting is, um, you know, if you've got a 3.5% mortgage, and you get a bonus. It used to be you always threw a little money at the mortgage and then you refied it. And it was a game everybody could play. Hey, yeah. rates are now 2.8. You've got a 3.25. Maybe, you, I, I saved up, 
me and my spouse got another 25 grand. Hey, throw it on the mortgage, refi it down, and your payment cut coming down, right? That used to be the game you could play. Well, now that refi game can't be played, but if you've got a 3.5% mortgage and you have a 5% CD, ladies and gentlemen, for the first time in 15 years, you have an opportunity to, to play both sides. And this matters to you because rather than buying into the whole thing about, I gotta have a house, Real I estate. need a house, I gotta go buy it, I gotta do it. Right now, it's not the time to do it. Right now is the time to be happy on a conservative lifestyle, looking for a serious relationship. Yep. We've already mentioned that, Super Chat. Um, but there, there's also things that, that you're gonna discover at this time. As a matter of fact, you were telling me what was it you were saying? What happened with your car? Your yeah, lease? yeah. You so, were telling me something about that. Yeah, because that cause, all this interest rate madness had an impact. Yeah, because my question for you was: if somebody has a three percent interest rate home that they locked in in 2021, 2020, kind of what do they do with that if they're trying to move it out? Because obviously, if you sell it, you make some quick money, but then you got to put more into the loan for the and for the interest rate and stuff like that. And, and the story I had was. Back in 2021, I had the opportunity to, to buy, buy the car that I'd previously leased. And at the time, this is when the COVID bonanza was still going crazy and they were buying used cars for more than new cars. So at that point, I could buy the car out for 12,000, but the value of it was 20. So the dealership was trying to buy it from me. But the caveat was, if I sell this, make some quick money, then I gotta spend it on a new car somehow, some way. And that's definitely not gonna be cheap. You know, that's very interesting you say that because um, the BizDoc babe, um, she has a SUV, but we bought it. And but she had a friend whose husband told us the same story mm -hmm. uh, at dinner one night. He said, hey, I went back to the, and by the way, this is Mercedes. So this wasn't like, uh, you know, this wasn't Shady Jack's car leasing. This is your Mercedes national leasing. And they went in there at the end of the lease, they were under on the mileage a little bit, and the car's in great shape. Uh, these people take care of their cars. And the guy said, um, he said, I, I wanna know what my, my purchase is. And they said, well, your purchase is actually a little lower than we predicted for you, but I'll give you $7,000 more than that. Mm -hmm. In other words, they ran the inspection, they were under on the uh, mileage. You know, you have a maximum mileage on a lease, number one. No dings, no chips, no nothing. Tire is good, and they had always brought it to that dealership for its maintenance. So that's a straight-A report card. So that dealer wanted that car and said, hey, used cars are so crazy. I'll, I'll pay you seven grand more than what it is the lease buyout option where you can buy out your car, seven yep. grand. And he said, really? Well, what's the rate on a similar vehicle, which is now three years earlier, newer, newer yeah. from a 19 to a 22. 2019 turned into 22. Oh, yeah, so because they were paying a, a lease, lease was like 850, yep. 850 range. You know what it was? 1100. Yeah. So here's seven grand, but you gotta put up another 1100 for the next 36 months. And I said, you know, that's only $200 a month for 36, that's 7,200. Wait a minute, it's the same number. Yeah. So the seven grand that you, they give you, you're gonna give back to them a little bit. So you know what he did? Bought the car. Yep. He yep. bought the car. And you know, as he was buying the car, the, um, the dealership manager came in and said, hey, I've got another one that came in off of a two-year lease that you could actually buy for a different number, but 
they blew through the top, almost mm -hmm. had 30,000 miles on it. So it blew through the top, and whoever turned in that lease, you know, uh, that Didn't lease there, they it probably cost them $6,000 to turn in the car, because if you're that far over a mileage, it's like mileage times 15 cents. Yeah. That's a lot of money. It's like, it's, it's, you know, it's $15 per 100, and you're thousands of miles over, all of a sudden you own thousands of dollars. So it was kind of crazy. Um, but he said, nope, nope. I'm just buying it at the end of the lease. So she loved the car. They took good care of it, mm -hmm. and now they still have it. But isn't that interesting what's going on? It's like you got to be careful. You have to be savvy about this stuff. Yeah. And so what did I, you do? So I remember when I first leased the car, I wasn't sure how long I'd be staying, kind of what the situation was, and I figured that'd be the better option to do. But people always typically say that leasing is more expensive. But in this case, it ended up being the best situation because I was locked into a earlier interest rate and an earlier price, so I ended up buying out the car and, and it was probably the smartest thing I've done. Yep. So you bought it from the dealer? Yes, sir. Smart. I, right after very, leasing very it. And I also knew then at that point what the car's been through, what it's been like maintenance-wise and everything, so. Did they do an inspection? They did not, because I bought it at the time from right. a Texas dealership when I moved out here. So, Got it. So, Got uh, it. so I didn't have to ship it back, luckily. So. So they didn't find that bikini top under the back seat? They did not, no. Got which it. Is good. Which and then is they good. obviously wanted to know, where is the woman who's running around without the bikini top? That's, so. that's a mystery to be unknown. Yeah, well, <clears throat> but you didn't have the car inspected. But you got the car. Right on. There you go. Well, see, that's, that's interesting. And for businesses, it's the same way. If you're running a business, you got things going on right now, it is the same thing for your equipment leasing. You know, your heavy equipment, like construction equipment, you go John Deere, you got forklifts, you got those little bobcats, like you... I was talking to a guy um, at uh, the vault last year, had a pool company, and even then with the interest rates out of whack at the end of last year, remember vault, like last September? Yep. He buys these little bobcats, have you seen them? And they're actually four and a half feet wide, so they can go on the side yard of, the, mm. of most houses. Yeah, that's practical. And that's how they're fit, and they dig pools, and then they bring the dirt back out. But part of the reason that those little tiny tractors are made that way is so they can go through between two houses where they have fences and a little side yard, and they can fit. Because a full-size bulldozer isn't going to get back there, and they, you got to dig this big hole to build a pool. And he was commenting about that he was uh, really frustrated by the leasing cost, and he may just buy the stuff because the construction stuff, they say, the wear and tear on it's pretty severe. And when you get to the end and you have to turn them in, sometimes you've had an accident, one of your guys knocked, caused one to roll over, it's a little tweaked or bent, and you, you've got all this stuff. He said, I ended up just buying it. So... This is something that's been going, and the rates and where everything are right now, you may be better off buying and self-insuring your future maintenance than leasing your equipment. But it's, it's time to look at all options, you know, regardless of who you are. And that applies to your own car, it applies to company cars, as well as company equipment. I have, I have a question on that end. When you lease something from a business standpoint, you can't write off the expenses as depreciation the same way you can when you buy. No, no, no. Yeah, you don't get depreciation, but the lease is basically an expense. It's yeah. an equipment expense. Yeah. Now, if you put what we call GTO, gas, tires, oil, onto all your lease vehicles, those are maintenance expenses. That's a real expense on there. Yep. But no, your depreciation is different. Got it. And so it's a... So, but it's something to keep in mind in that case, because depreciation... If, if the interest rate on the equipment is expensive, then it could suddenly become cheaper with the depreciation and the tax on the back end. It's very, very true. Until you get up to like the five years, and five years is a magic panic point when you're leasing equipment. That's usually when you have big expenses, where the guys in the big green and yellow truck from John Deere, they pull that thing up to those farms and are doing all that stuff for those farm equipment. 
big maintenance, big maintenance. Just like order, you know, um, owning private planes. Every 5,000 landings and every um, 75 months, 72 months or something like that, um, mm -hmm. uh, they have these very significant uh, maintenance expenses. And yeah. that's where the lines cross. That's where ownership and leasing kind of cross. It's like uh, long-term future maintenance. It's a, it's a gamble. It, it is a gamble. So. But anyway, that's what's going on. Hope that's helpful. But um, doesn't look like rates are going to be going down for a couple years. So if you're renting, stay in a good lease and uh, be patient, save your money. And if you own, unless you've got some horrible reason that they need to chase you out of there because your job has to move someplace, don't give up your 2.75, 3, 3.5, 3 or even 4% mortgage because it's 7% right now everywhere else. And 6.5% is probably going to be the best you see between now and the end of the year. And it's probably going to be two years before the Fed takes its foot off this. I think they want to let this thing normalize out. But that's where it is. But you can make some savings money now. And it's just uh, you have to change your consumption pattern on, um, on, on property and housing. So I want to go on to something else that um, came up over the weekend. And, uh, you know, We've been talking about work from home. Yep. And most of the time we've been talking about what? The business owner. Yep. Because business, business owner at Disney's are like, you must be back in three days. We are a creative organization. Creative collaboration can't happen. You yeah. gotta be here three days. Or By the way, that's Disney talking. Mm -hmm. Liberal Disney picketing and doing things one way in Florida and then back from Burbank, California, saying, you know, with a with a heavy, you know, authoritarian accent, everybody back to work. They, you know, they almost sound like Elon Musk that said you can work remotely, but not from Twitter. That's right. You can work remotely wherever you want. Just, just not at Twitter. Exactly. <laughs> it's good. Well, but we've been talking about the businesses, right? We've been talking about all the businesses that have been pulling people back to the office. But there's another side to this, and that's the employee side. And there was a couple shocking things came up on the, over, the, over the weekend. And it was, would you take a pay cut to work from home? Now, the argument has always been, why wouldn't you give me like 5% more? Because I'm going to pay for my internet, and that's my desk, and that's my lease, and I'm not taking up space at an yeah. office lease. And now we know that some offices are downsizing. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so the argument was, wouldn't you pay me 2%? Let's cut the difference. If there's 5% of office, why wouldn't you give 2% to the employee, put 2% in your pocket, and do it that way. But now, um, you know, on the heels of Google telling people that they had to be in the office three days a week, they also indicated that those don't, that don't keep the schedules are going to see performance reviews strongly impacted. In other words, if you're working from home and you're late on a project or you miss Zoom calls, you are going to be judged more strictly than someone who's at the office and misses a meeting or is late on it. And it's because they're arguing the same way. Look, we have to force people working from home to be slightly more proactive. Well, as we all know, the liberal Google, Googleverse, Googlers, what do they call yeah. it? Googlers, Googlers working in the Googleverse went berserk and they freaked out. What? Are, what? You know, because it's like, you know, um, you know, every time you search accountability on Google, you get nothing in response. Just kidding. Apparently, that's what it's like if you work at Google. There is no accountability. 
but accountability is coming back and now people are freaking out. But they do have ping pongs and, and snacks and love sacks and, and chef, all that good stuff. And a but, chef. But if you're not at the office, how, you can't even take advantage of it. Guess what? Ooh, maybe that's a work from home slogan. Yeah. If, you're, if you're not at work, there's no free lunch. <clears throat> there you go. Perhaps. Well, then Amazon, Snap, and Meta um, were talking about return to the office last week. And workers who don't want to return at Meta were faced with the following. We're only going to allocate so many jobs to be remote. So they're saying a, a, an engineer on this team can be remote. Copywriters on these teams can be remote. They are literally doing analysis that says, what kind of a job is it? Does it need to collaborate? Does it need to be here three, four days a week? No? Well, then guess what? That's not a remote position. That position is here. Security, you know, censorship, all those teams. They don't call them censorship anymore. Into the conference room. Let's talk about this tweet stream that just went on. Elon Musk and, a, and you know, and, and Joe RFK. Rogan and a, and, a, and a virus doctor. Everybody come in here. What should we do about all these things? These posts are happening on Facebook. It's this argument going on Twitter. Those people aren't remote. Got to be in the conference room. Got to talk it through. Got to then go down, talk to corporate counsel, back and forth. But there's a few jobs remote. Well, all of them freaked out. And then... Some surveys came over the weekend. So there's the playing field. Yeah. And we all knew people were getting upset by the playing field, but a different kind of survey came out. Exactly. There's, and this is your people. This is your generation. This is, this is the this is working my, my fellow engine people. of these companies. Absolutely. No, and it, what it, happened? There was a survey that came out from uh, Schwab where they asked people to describe which is better, uh, being able to work from anywhere or make more money in terms of wealth, right, in terms of what they valued more. And uh, I'm pretty sure some people are surprised by this, while others aren't. 60% uh, picked flexibility over money, meaning 60% of people would rather be able to work from where they want to, when they want to, as opposed to having to do it from um, making more money but being in a specific location, which is pretty, pretty interesting. And I'm sure your generation is definitely sees this as very different from me. Uh, as well as there was another recent post on Fishbowl where they ask users, would they take a pay cut to be able to work from home or at least uh, have a short commute? And a lot of people said they would rather take a pay cut, which is obviously then goes opposite to what we were talking about earlier of making more. They would rather make less, but be able to work from where they wanted. And they were saying up to 15% reduction in terms of uh, what they were paid. And they would still choose 15% less wage, but be able to work from home or wherever you want versus staying at the office and working from there. Well, like, my goodness. By the way, if there's a couple of you feel that way and you're in software QA, um, you know, send, contact the biz doc on, um, on LinkedIn. You know, my goodness. Um, you know, that's, that's really shocking. So you wonder, is this real? You know, do you think it's real? I think it's real. And like, I'll tell like you, these I'll tell, numbers, yeah. are these people just saying this for a survey? Or would they really, when they said, okay, this job's 100 grand, but 85 grand and you can work from home, but you're not gonna be in our management training program. Yeah, I because think- Because you're not here to collaborate. So 85,000 staff position or 100,000 and be part of management training, they'll say, but you're doing the same function, software mm -hmm. QA, copywriting, web development, whatever it is. How many do you think really take the 85 time? I think a lot of people, at least younger people, mean it, and they would rather do that with the flexibility. But where I see the caveat in this situation definitely is that uh, working from home versus working in the office, 
you definitely don't get the same level of mentorship, accountability, and being developed the same way as you do just sitting behind it. Because obviously we know from going in meetings and being in meetings and coming out and then like, oh, what do you think about this? Or, oh, don't forget about this. Or just those small touch points. Those don't happen because on Zoom it's like, click, you're done. And then you're off. And then you're like, all right, mm -hmm. what's next now? So I definitely think that there's a big part of that where people would enjoy the freedom of it but don't understand potentially the long-term kind of setbacks it can create because a lot of those inter interpersonal uh, interactions are what really allows you to grow and develop over time. Yeah, it's like the uh, National Hockey League. You know, there's a couple of players that wanted to work from home mm -hmm. and they explained to them that's just not possible. That's quite challenging to work from home on a, in, a, in the NHL. That's a bad dad joke from the biz doc, right? <clears throat> also, it was the National Hockey League that bring your daughter to work day was a terrible disaster. So it was yeah. that also. They, they, they only did that mistake once. Huh? Exactly. Yeah. The, um, um, no, you know what's really interesting about this is um, <clears throat> about a year ago, we were talking about this. Actually, I think it's more than a year ago. It was on the PBD podcast. Uh, Patrick was talking about this. Sauce was on there. And I forget who was on there with us, but I brought up there was this uh, CEO, his name was Tim Armstrong, and he was running all of the um, uh, Verizon Media. Remember, Verizon bought a bunch of things that nobody wanted. Like, they went to these garage sales. They bought Yahoo. They bought it, AOL. A bunch of stuff I forget. I think they even they bought HuffPo, I, I think. I'm not remember. And so they tried to create this company. What was it called? Oof. Oath. 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 O-A-T-H, I think it was. Anyway, he was bringing up, he says, hey, this you know, once we're off the lockdown of the virus, and he didn't argue with that, but he said, look, people are missing opportunities to be mentored. We are making selections of who to promote, and we have a standard that we review. Have they run this many projects? Do they deliver them on time? What were the reviews of the people that were on there, on their teams? You know, going back, look at the reviews. Hey, Kai, you were a team lead yep. of General Tafura Project. Yep. Let's go look at the three reviews of the people that are on the team lead. Kai had given a review. Kai's manager had approved the review, helped them uh, refine it a little bit. So what were the reviews of people on Kai's team before they did the Kai project and after they did the Kai project? In other words, are they growing and developing, which meant Kai was mentoring, teaching, Lifting up, you know, um, managing, yep. management, Leadership. Which is management, which is four major things, planning, organizing, directing, controlling. Those are the four major threads of a good manager. Plan what you're going to do, organize the people and assign who's who, you know, planning, organizing, and then get to work and then direct the outcome, coaching and controlling. Controlling if it's late, if it's early, if I need more resources. Planning, organizing, directing, controlling. It's a good manager. So was Kai exhibiting that? And were the people's reviews last year to this year were up? And, and Tim was talking about a variety of things here, saying we evaluate this. And so this is not like a favoritism decision. This is not a, um, a union job where, oh, you have enough tenure? Well, then you're the union boss. Then you're the, you're the team leader, mm. you know, um, whatever it is. No, it was, and he said, they don't get this. And they also don't get five little conversations with their boss during the day. Because they have a Zoom in the morning, they have a team Zoom at noon, and a Zoom in the afternoon, and they don't get the, um, you know, hey, um, do you have a second? Yeah. I gotta run something by you. Can I just look at this? We pulled this into a chart and it looks a little weird. Oh, have you considered this and this? 
you know what, Shirley's sitting over here, I was just talking to her, let me go talk to her and, and, and see that. Go back, talk to Shirley, guess what, found it. You know what that was? You can't replicate that on Slack, you can't replicate that here. And so Tim Armstrong, you know, made some comments in the media, and I'm elaborating on basically what we heard from other people, that way back then said, you know what, these folks, not only are you gonna be flatlined for career development, there's a little thing called a raise that goes with that, and a bonus that goes with that. No, 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 the greedy companies just wanna keep the money. I don't think so. No, and, and I also what do you think, think? I, I, it's, it's very interesting what you're saying, and then the other part is positive peer pressure. Like, how can you perform better if you're isolated in your own pod? I think, uh, I read a study, I don't know the specific name, but they were talking about how if you sit within 25 feet from a performer in an office setting, your, on average, your performance would go up 15% simply based on like positive peer pressure. And then the same thing, if you sit within 24 feet from like a lower performer or a worse performer, then by default, in terms of just being distracted or people asking questions or kind of being pulled into that shenanigans, that they saw that the performance decreases by 30%. So I think this just really goes to show that uh, if you have if you're in an office environment, you get those inner light touches here and there, and you see kind of the positive peer pressure of, okay, let me go a little bit, let me do a little bit more. Let me go try a little bit harder and, and really focus my effort into this. I think that those you don't miss. You know, like, there's no way of seeing that when it's all virtual on that end because you're not even, like, you, once the call's done, you have no idea what they're doing. You, you, we don't see that. What a great point. Yeah. What a great point. And, and the other part here, which I know we're big on by Timon, is we always typically say, more is caught, not taught. And I don't know how easy it is to catch things through Zoom, but uh, that's definitely something that you can only do in a more specific office environment. Well, a certain CNN reporter was caught on Zoom. Yeah. I think that was something else. Not, not, you know? not the kind we're talking about. No, I think it was, um, you know, what was his name, Tubin? Oh, I have no idea. I think it was Tubin. Tubin. Forever known as the, as the Zoom jacker. Hey, you can figure out what that is. But, um, yep. He, yeah. He hijacked that meeting. No, oh boy, he did he ever. It's, a bit, it's exactly right. So where's the peer pressure? He's not going to do that in an office environment. He would, he's bored with a meeting. So let's talk about what happened. He got bored with the meeting, turned over to whatever favorite other kind of stuff he wanted to watch, and... And, you know, he, you know, as they say in court, he started pounding the gavel. So it's like, what are you doing? But, um, yeah, so more is caught than taught. So does that kind of stuff happen when you're in your office environment? Hey, I can't be screwing around here. I got I to gotta get to work. I got I to gotta do this. I also think the other part is having a distinct area where you go to to work allows you to kind of get in that mindset versus just rolling out of bed and then being on your computer. And it's the same place where you'll watch movies or sitting on the couch and doing reporting work or stuff like that, it's very hard to be more focused and to be more proper when, when you're having to be disciplined mm -hmm. to do that. Yeah, and you, you know, you learn more, you get educated more. Anyway, yeah. so no. if you're running a business, you know, it's coming back, you know, and if somebody's insisting on working from home, but it's a staff person that could work independently, ask the question, would you take 15% less? And then, you know, you understand, you're not gonna be developed and you're not gonna be considered to be a team leader or manager here. But I'm happy to pay you this and if you only wanna work from home and this particular job could, you know, away you go.
Right on. So, speaking of education, you said yes. you dug something up. Absolutely. If you want to pull up uh, Mr. DJ Reckless here, the, um, the, the article we found by Elon Musk where he talked about education and he made a comparison of, I can, I'll start reading and I'll be pulling it up here. He made um, the a, um, association with education and said, keep going down to the third one, uh, where he basically said, the analogy I use sometimes is, have you seen Batman, the Christopher Nolan movie, right? Phenomenal movie. And then he says, it's pretty freaking awesome. But then the, the uh, analogy he uses is, You've got incredible special effects, great script, multiple takes, amazing actors, and great sound. It's very engaging, but you, if you were uh, instead say, okay, even if you have the same script, but you have to only pull actors, editors, um, shooters, and stuff like that from your local environment, right? So instead of finding the best actors in the world, the best editors, the best cinematographers, the best directors, the best producers, you're putting all of this and saying, okay, we're now making this movie. We'll take the same script, so the, the, the content is the same. But instead of going worldwide or US-wide, we're now going, we're going to make The Dark Knight Rises Oakland Park edition. So now we need to find only the best people within Oakland Park, which is where we're located right here, and we're going to find a way to make this. Is the movie as good as the movie is when they pull together the talent from all over the world and find the best people. Yeah, I think I think the argument of education there is 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 hiding underneath. And there needs to be two sides to it. Number one, there needs to be standard for education, uh, because like it or loathe it, you know your ACT and your SAT is what most colleges still are looking for. Some of them say, no, we're going to look at all these other things, your GPA and relative class rank. Yeah, that's some, but the vast majority are still looking for your SAT or an ACT. And so you need to be educating kids so that they can pass those tests. You can't leave out some part of um, you know, uh, composition development and then have them be able to be ready for 80% of the verbal side of the SAT, but not that. So there doesn't need to be standards that says, hey, all these things need to be taught so you're ready for your ACT, SAT, and to go to college. And also what you might call is just a well-rounded primary K-12 education. Yep. No, absolutely. So you do need some standards there. But on the other hand, do you need the national, at the national level, meddling in everything? So locally, people could execute it. But I think what he's getting to is, could local people come together and determine what all the, edu all the standards are going to be that, for an, on a national basis to determine college entrance and other criteria? No. I, I don't think so. But should the Department of Education stay out of everything so they can execute locally and private schools can do what private schools do, public schools can do what public schools do, charter schools can do what charter schools? Yeah, I think so. But those are local actors and actresses called teachers that yep. understand their market, their demographics, and what they're faced with. So I think that part of the argument maybe falls a little bit because I do think that the local teachers understand local challenges in the local market. Um, but on a national level, there's got to be a standards body. It's, mm. like, it's like speed limit. Speed yeah, limits you, need to be measured the same way everywhere. You can't have somebody teaching 40% of the curriculum and then others teaching 15% of it. So it makes sense. I also think maybe the 80-20 principle here of having it 80% standardized where it's a distinct of what's being covered and then having 20% kind of play into role. Um, 
with the specific teachers that know the market, or maybe you're in a place where there's more emphasis on certain things, depending on what the main drivers of the industry is in those places. Perfect. Kelly. Kelly's not here. I just called DJ Reckless Kelly. Yeah. <laughs> Whoops. Really. Mr. DJ Reckless. Now, but he does, by the way, you have freedom to be who you want to be. Just don't tell my kids what to do. America, that's where I'll go with that. And, um, you know, he identifies as DJ Reckless. Hey, do we have questions? Do we have a couple questions today? Uh, let me... Love the QA and I have a lot of feedback from you that you like the dynamic questions, especially about businesses, to put some application together of what would matter for you. So if we got one or two, no? I'm seeing what we got here in the chat. Uh, they are popping up. We have um, Alexander watching from Australia. It's Hello, 14, Alexander. 1.46 a.m. He might should be in bed at this point, but we'll let him, uh, we'll let him keep going. Yeah. I think... Um, in terms what was of, he asking? No, there wasn't there was no question here yet. So let's see. Uh, but he was just saying he was dropping in from, uh, from, from Canada. So I don't see any questions here today. I think... Uh, All right, so... We'd like to thank Alexander from Australia for the super chat with no question. Just a thank you for all you do. Um, we had one that we didn't get to um, last week. And they were asking about, um, you know, when it comes time to hire like a general manager for my business, you know, how do I define that? Because I'm the founder of my business, what do I do? And the answer really is first looking to what you do best. What is it that you do that only you should do? And he said, well, I got into this business because business development and sales. I knew the whole marketplace. I knew everybody. And I knew if I had these products that I could talk to everybody and I could sell them. So, okay, so you're sort of product application business development. Very common. The other thing is people that are product inventors, engineers, and they form a business and they make Twitter. But they also need other people to go out there and then market it. So most, most leaders in business come from one or the other. So the answer is, how do you keep yourself still in that lane? And if you're looking for a GM or a number two, it's really looking at what's keeping you out of that lane. And he said, well, I suddenly end up, it takes so much time to hire people. And it takes so much time to process that. And I, I kind of split it with um, I, I, uh, a wonderful woman who's been with me for 15 years. She's sort of my director of finance. She's a CPA, and she does the books, and she helps me with that. I said, well, wait a minute. So you don't have an HR department? No. Well, maybe that's your first person. Maybe it's not a number two. Mm -hmm. Maybe your first person is the HR person. Yeah. And you get all the time back to be Mr. Business Development, Mr. Product Person. And so, you know, and the question came, but I, I think what it comes to, sometimes you can just be too busy to stop and think about yeah. planning. Yeah, because sometimes I've heard the expression too that you have either the artist personality, which is somebody who really is passionate about the craft, knows the process, knows the in and out, and really Maybe the product, product person, or you're more the entrepreneur, which is just hey, I don't really care about what the product is. I can find the right people. I can make deals. I can make things happen. And then depending on which one you are, obviously you need to then leverage people to take care of either opposite of them, right? Steve Jobs very product oriented. He just, he was. As long as he was there on the products, Apple's doing good. He was out, business ran fine, products were horrible. 
So I think that finding kind of which ones is your strong suit and then finding ways to allocate and really have people take over the other parts is where it comes down to. You see a million to. examples of this over time where Harley Davidson a couple times in his history, by the way, I did a case study in Harley Davidson back several years ago. Go back and look at that. It's here in the uh, Valuetainment Archive. <clears throat> but they lost their way a couple times on product. And they had product quality issues and they had, had styling issues. And then they would have a CEO and a reorganization that says, wait a minute, we got to get back to building Harleys, but they got to be quality. It's got to be there, and then we need to add things to them that that are that are important and necessary to today's buyer and rider. And so then you go through a thing where Harley would have these comebacks. And so it's so true that you got to have all that in sync. Anyway, really good question, and we appreciate it. So that's what we have this that's week. It, that's it for Anything this week. Else? No, I think that's uh, that's good. And hopefully good. it'll be valuable for the people watching at home and be able to apply that to their businesses, whether they're... Oh, we're in a t-shirt company in Berlin or we're in a technology company here. Right and if you're looking for value, remember, August 30th to September 2nd, the Vault Conference coming up. It should be up on the screen. And this is where you can go, find tickets, look at the packages, meet Patrick Bet David, and hear from a wonderful lineup of speakers, including Tom Brady, the GOAT, talking about leadership and the different teams that he had to manage and work through as he kept winning championships, but each team was very different. And wonderful, wonderful story this is. You might not think so, but it is Mike Tyson who has talked about the challenges in the ring and planning. And I think one of the things Mike Tyson once said, you know, every battle plan is good till you get hit in the mouth. And then the other we have is Will Gadara, the story of um, EMP, you know, uh, a fantastic uh, restaurant, became number one restaurant in the world in New York and his leadership. So we've got all kinds of case studies and leadership and things coming. And if you're looking to add value and build your business, see at the Valuetainment Conference, down here, Hollywood, Florida, which is basically Fort Lauderdale, right next to Fort Lauderdale Airport, August 30th to September 2nd. And we look forward to seeing you there. Until next time, for Kai Lode, I'm Tom Ellsworth, the BizDoc, and I hope we left you better, better than, than we, we found, found you. you.